Hey everyone, Gary here. From the top, let me say that these first four episodes were recorded about two years ago whenever we were initially piloting the series. So please understand that some of the references that we make may be partially, if not completely, outdated. Also wanted to say, if you have a submission for us, please send an email over to 90spcgb at gmail.com. And we will be back this January with some brand new episodes. So let's dive in, shall we? The following podcast may contain spoilers and or explicit language. Welcome to the 90s Pop Culture Grab Bag. And we're back. Welcome to another installment of the 90s Pop Culture Grab Bag. I'm Gary. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SMRGary. I am Nick Robes. You can find me usually at a bar on the weekends. (laughs) And at Nick Robes on Twitter, N-I-C-R-O-B-E-S. Yes, you can find both of us at the 90s Pop Culture Grab Bag, where we will be posting all sorts of cool 90s related things. Yeah, so check us out over there. And uh, we also have a Twitter, too. At 90spcgb? I think that's right. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We should have probably plugged these in the first few episodes, but, you know. Eh, whatever. Now we're really cooking with gas. Now's the time to get the people on board. That's right. That's right. I say hindsight, you whore. Get out of (laughs) here. Hindsight is 20 bunnies. (laughs) wish it were (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so uh what's been going on buddy you know uh well i went to a renaissance fair yesterday and i gotta say it's fun every time yeah yeah (laughs) i mean talk about traveling back into the past it's so funny because like i'm sure that there are renaissance fairs where there are people who are very uh, uh persnickety about the renaissance right but the one that me and my friends go to, this is like our third year running, and it's basically like a comic. It's like a comic con. Like whatever you're into, bring it into this weird city in the middle of the woods where a lot of people are doing half-hearted British accents. <laughs> like there are people dressed as like steampunk, Game of Thrones. I saw a guy dressed as Mace Windu. I mean, you know, wow. it's just like this is the greatest place ever. <laughs> It sounds like it. That's really cool. I've never been to one, but uh, consider my interest peaked. I gotta imagine that there's some around your way in in like the the mountain areas. Yeah, probably so. I don't spend a lot of time in the mountain areas. They they don't like my city boy type around there. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing that the listener is taking away from these podcasts, you are very urban. It's true. It's true. Keith I Urban. Sh- oh. I- <laughs> Yeah, talk about sending mixed messages. <laughs> that Australian. Yeah. <laughs> I love the American country. So, are you ready to dive back to a time whenever Keith Urban's name meant nothing to pop culture? God, am I ever. Easier, simpler times, but possibly quite a bit more complicated. Let's uh, give Popso a call and see where we're heading first. Sure, let's do it up. All right. Hey, Popso. Oh, hey, man, what's happening? Not too much, not too much. We're ready for our first trip back in time today. Well, first off, I'm going to power up the hotback machine so you guys can head to 1991. Grandmore Granny Smith from Munsterville, Arkansas wants you guys to revisit Adventures in Dinosaur City. Wow, okay. Well, this won't be a revisit for me as much as it will be a first visit. I do remember this movie. I'm excited. Let's go back. All right, let's do it. Great trip. Uh, Kudos on the new seatbelts, though. They're very nice. Yeah, I modeled them after slap bracelets. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, all right. So, Adventures in Dinosaur City. This this was new to me. I've never heard of this one. I've, I'm I'm quite familiar with the uh, Prehistoria films. 
uh, Prehysteria, sorry. Prehysteria 1, 2, and 3. But I have never heard of Adventures in Dinosaur City until this podcast. So supposedly when you look up the lore of this movie the idea is that teenage mutant ninja turtles was so popular they were Mm -hmm. like well we can't just outright capitalize on turtles so we need somebody else to do light uh martial arts (laughs) dinosaurs Mm -hmm. uh the the problem is that the ninja turtle suits were especially you know like in the movies uh they were pretty lean Uh um These puppets, costumes, whatever, not so much. Uh, Are you talking about Rex's uh, 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 landing, airplane landing strip for shoulders? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He he can't actually walk into normal doors. Right. I know. It's it's really weird. (laughs) Like, I think they actually made more work for themselves than was necessary with this thing. I do say so. We I, I watched this in uh, subpar uh, visual quality, of course, uh, but yeah, because I had to uh, kind of go through some back alleyways to watch this, and mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to see it in high definition because I wanted to see how the because the monster masks or the dinosaur mm-hmm. masks, the animatronics of them did look pretty like they could have been cool had I had a little <laughs> bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will let you know. I did watch this in 4K high definition. Um, <laughs> they, tra- they you got it upressed. <laughs> I did. I did. No, I just watched it with like three pairs of glasses, one on top of the other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's how vision works, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm no eye doctor, but. Uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it works. No, I mean I, I know what you mean. I was actually pretty impressed with how the 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 suits looked. It wasn't it wasn't Disney quality, obviously, and it wasn't even uh, whoever owned Ninja Turtles quality. But it was it was not bad. Yeah, I thought all. I mean, if I was going to complain about anything in this movie, I would not say it was the production design. No, not at all. Not at all. I do have one huge complaint about this movie. <laughs> do, do do we tease it now and get to it later, or like how do you want to how do you want to run this? Uh, one word, Mick. Um, <laughs> you didn't like him, huh? <laughs> that dude could train a class in how to not be an actor. Here's the thing. I also kept thinking that like. I kept re-looking it up because I kept forgetting while watching the movie. I thought he was Oz from American Pie. <laughs> and then I would immediately forget and be like, wait, it's it's not Oz from American Pie? And then I would look it up again and be like, no, it isn't. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but it's, you know, the younger kid was pretty good. Uh, he's from Hocus Pocus, right? Omir, <laughs> he's got a, Omir Calf, something like that. Uh, let's go with that. Don't know why I didn't write that one down. <laughs> Omri. Uh, Omri is his name. Omri. Okay. O-M-R-I. Amir, Amir did not sound right. Yeah. Omri Katzenberger. Nope. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. Omri, uh, the kid from uh, who would grow up to then be the uh, the t- uh, hero of Hocus Pocus, the uh, 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 virginally <laughs> uh, excessive hero. The other two kids, I'm not even sure they grew up. They just sort of disappeared after this one, as far as I could tell. Yeah, although I'm obsessed with the last name Boston. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Boston with a P. No, I think that's, yeah, I think that's Italian uh, food in Boston. <laughs> hey, we're getting, we getting some uh, pasta tonight? Nah, we're getting some pasta. <laughs> Well, it seems like uh, a little bit of a far walk, but fine, let's do it. Yeah, right on. Nick Robes, master of Italian Boston accents. <laughs> Dude, we watching the Sox tonight? <laughs> right on, buddy. Uh, yeah, um, that's right. This, uh, overall, this movie is very, it feels low budget for what I'm assuming was a lot of money that had to go in, into a lot of these sets. and uh, uh, Yeah. 1991 CGI. Yeah, yeah. Which wasn't as terrible as it could have been, actually. I think that they used it well. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, uh, from my memory, because I have not been able to revisit it recently, the Lord of the Rings movies, 
Yeah. I remember all the amazingness of the practical effects when they would have like uh, the orcs in the field right before Sean Bean dies. Spoiler alert. I think you say it <laughs> afterwards, right? Uh, <laughs> I, Sean Bean dies in every movie. Don't worry about it. Sure. Permanent spoiler <laughs> alert for Sean Bean being in a movie. <laughs> he double crosses and then he dies. That's pretty much like the Sean Bean method. Oh, Goldeneye. Such a good movie. And he, uh, the orcs in that look like really cool because they're all makeup and all that stuff. And right. then when they're fighting in the like cave right before the famous like, you shall not pass. Whoa. Right. I think the hot back machine just <laughs> acted up. Uh, they, um, the CGI of those orcs in there, like the one that uh, Orlando Bloom runs up and shoots in the head, the CGI yeah. in that looks so bad because you can't do that. The textures and the stuff that you can do these days, like How to right. Train Your Dragon level. Right. And they didn't attempt that in this movie. All they did was make computery looking things with CGI. So it was like, oh, genius. This is what you use it for. You make things that look like they're made by a computer but really cool things made by a computer <laughs> yeah I, I think so you know i mean this movie I, I may have waited too long to see it for the first time it didn't completely impress me but some of the practicality of it was pretty cool and just the fact that they did uh, it, it seems weird to say that anything about this movie is subtle but <laughs> <laughs> i think they did a pretty good job of balancing subtlety into it there were, yeah, there were some, uh, the, it, for the amount of broadness in this movie, it was interesting to see the the moments where they did actually, like, somehow try to make it a story or something like that. Like, I yeah. mean, the, the, the plot points by a modern sensibility are contrived, like the whole thing with uh, Rex's dad handing over the key to the city, which they obviously wrote themselves into a hole and didn't know how to get out of it because then they throw the dad in the third act and he's like, oh, I was brainwashed by drugs. <laughs> they were like, we don't know why he did that. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's got some, uh, I, I, I wanted more time with the parents, I think. Not oh since, my god, uh, the cartoony uh, scientists? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, it was like uh, it was like Shia LaBeouf's parents in Transformers, you know? Just that sort of level of eccentric that worked really well, I think. Well, the other thing, there there were so many things set up in the first... Like, basically, there were like 35 Chekhov's guns in the beginning <laughs> of this movie that yep. should have somehow been resolved. It's like this kid's relationship with his parents and like this kid's relationship with his parents who are scientists. This mm -hmm. girl's inability or ability, wasn't really sure how it was framed, to write, quote, dinosaur stories... <laughs> True, yeah, I'd forgot about that. <laughs> Which, like, does she want to write dinosaur stories? Does she want to be better at it? Does she learn how to write them from... That That might be one of my main beefs with this movie, mm -hmm. is that nobody, aside from maybe Rex, changes... Right. Re like, she becomes uh, uh, Jamie, right? Jamie yep. becomes, like, she learns how to use her sexuality, I guess, is the point. Against right cavemen uh-huh she loses her glasses which by the way isn't a problem apparently she didn't need glasses this whole time <laughs> apparently not because again that's how eyes work <laughs> but like uh <laughs> mick i guess kind of grows a pair a little bit but the protagonist of this movie this kid who should be like a bizarre counterpart to rex right mm -hmm. like he comes yeah. into this world he should learn something rex should learn something they both part having been better yeah. And Rex kind of learns that his dad wasn't a horrible person. And this kid basically learns what he knew all along, which is that dinosaurs are cool. <laughs> like, that's kind of what you come away from the movie with, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's certainly what I took away from it. Also, I mean, this movie just like... It's kind of like a checklist for film tropes, I feel like. <laughs> I, I wish I wish I'd written I was halfway through the movie and thought, "Man, I wish I'd written all of these down." Just little things that happen here and there like running into each other with a comical boing. Yeah, boing or bongo sound effect or something, you know. <laughs> the the typical stuff, the uh the scene where Mick and Jamie kiss and then that's completely just gone from the rest of the movie right. it's like it's like they they get real close and intimate and then 
that love story is not touched on for the rest of the movie. In fact, it almost seems like they don't care a thing about each other. I, I feel like I, I feel like this movie was not written in uh, order or filmed in order. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's it's just. It's just really bizarre. <laughs> well, and also it was written by uh, the one of the women who wrote it was basically oh a model maker for Star Trek the Motion Picture. Really? Yeah, which hmm. I think kind of says a lot because I think a lot of effort was put into the sets and the sort of the design of this, even though it's basically like six string samurai with a budget, right? Like it's that sort of like exploitation film like very lo-fi 70s i mean it's amazing that flintstones came out i think three years after this movie and basically just reused all of the sets and costumes (laughs) this is true it's true and you know has john goodman and rosie in it yeah it's just like bizarre to think that like oh like they didn't really shoot for the stars compared to this movie (laughs) <laughs> well, if I hadn't rewatched Flintstones this past year, I would have told you that it was a great movie. <laughs> but I think I think that it 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 holds up maybe about as well as this. There's just some things that that y- you kind of can't go back. And sometimes, you know, if you miss the boat the first time, it's not it's not totally you don't love it as much as you might have cuz mm. I'm pretty sure this this movie would have blew my mind as a kid cuz like I say, I've, I watched the Prehysteria movies, and I thought that they were so much fun. I don't dare revisit them unless someone makes me on this show. <laughs> so <laughs> Leave it. Leave it in my memory as perfect. It, exactly. Exactly. And the funny thing is, like, even my weird, uh, convoluted child memory doesn't think those movies are perfect. <laughs> There's still some moments where I'm like, really? Is that, sure. Is that what we did? <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that. And I do think, you know, from my memory of it, I can recapture sort of what I loved about it, which was I did love, I loved the world building of it. And I did oh, yeah. like, you know, dino- I loved th- th- this weird map that at one point Jamie looks at, which doesn't look like a map. And she interprets it as a map. And she's like, why don't we go this way? But <laughs> that level of world building to me was what I was into as a kid. I wanted to go to Dinosaur City. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I can imagine that that would be a big factor in it. Letting the imagination run wild, like, just after watching the movie going outside and pretending like you're in Dinosaur City. And, and yeah. Right. I, I can totally see that. Um, unfortunately, I had to go do adult things after I watched the movie, so I couldn't I couldn't go outside <laughs> and pretend. Um, but, <laughs> but you did say, for roaring out loud at some point, correct? <laughs> Uh, every day since I saw this movie, yeah. That is um, just one of the many lines. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can, actually I, can I just throw this one out you really quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, dinosaurs is about this really awesome world where your friends are sores, who will take a chunk out of anybody who skanks you. <laughs> okay, part number one. <laughs> He's explaining <laughs> the plot of dinosaurs in a very abstract way. Let's just yeah. gloss over that. Uh, your friends are Soars, apostrophe, S-A-U-R-S. I watched this with subtitles, by the way. Oh, nice. <laughs> who will take a chunk out of anybody who apostrophe skanks ya. Hmm. What is the full version of skank? Uh, who bus skanks ya? Like, wh- but- what is the full version of that word? Why is there an apostrophe? I don't know. And I feel like if I went to Urban Dictionary, it would give me all sorts of definitions I don't want. Well, I know the ver- I know skanking at like a ska concert or sure, something. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I've I've I know the two typical definitions of of skank, but <laughs> I guess there's a third one, um <laughs> which also apparently is some kind of uh uh contraction, <laughs> I guess. Um I don't know. I I f- I feel very unhip on uh on urban dinosaur lingo. <laughs> Urbandinosaur.com. Check <laughs> it out. <laughs> Right, right, absolutely. That's our new webpage. <laughs> well, I just have one more stray observation before we put this to bed. The opening credits. Why? It, okay, so it seemed like they hired three different artists to do it. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> you, you interplay actual plot points from the movie, or, or not even plot points, but like the, sort of the world of Dinosaur City. 
uh, where there's like pictures of like this guy happening or like, oh, uh, dinosaurs uh, don't like people and people don't like dinosaurs with like abstract. I mean, it all looks like uh, John Chris Felucci doing like bizarre abstract art over what amounts to the butthole surfers doing the underdog theme song from the Saturday morning soundtrack. <laughs> I know. If anybody hasn't listened to that album, it's so good. I think oh, uh, uh, Violent Femmes do the Jetsons. Or no, they do uh, Eep Op Orc from the Jetsons. Right. And then I think like Collective Soul is on it. It's the weirdest compilation of bands who should never have been on the same bill. I'm pretty sure that uh, Liz Fair does uh, the Banana Split song as well, if we're talking about the same <laughs> record. And uh, um, uh, Speed Racer by uh, Sponge. <laughs> uh, Tripping Daisies is on there, right? Oh, I hope so. Uh, um, <laughs> if there's a God in heaven. <laughs> I mean, we might be talking about two different compilation CDs, but either way, listen to them. I'm sure they're good, because 90s covers are the best. Agreed. I was not aware of this movie. But I've spent hours playing a video game for the Super Nintendo called Dino City, which is the video game for this movie. Shut up. Wait, I what? Had no, I had no idea this, that the two were compared, but I was looking at the Wikipedia page for Adventures in Dinosaur City, and I scrolled down to the bottom, and it said, see also Dino City. So I played it, and it follows the story of the movie. It's got the little pterodactyl guy who sort of guides you through it, and you're playing... Uh, Apparently, the game hated Mick as much as I did, because he's not an option, but the main kid and Jamie are. So it's the plot So it's the plot of the movie. It's not like if you were in the movie, a game about Dino Soar, the TV show. No. Okay. Because I <laughs> no, kind no, of would want that. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely about the movie, because you, you, you can pick between the, the, lead, the, the lead protagonist or uh, Timmy? Jamie. Timmy or Jamie. Okay. And, uh, you know, based on whichever one you get, they're riding on the back of Rex or Jamie's got some pink dinosaur uh, because, you know, girls and stuff. Yeah. And what was his sidekick's name? The one who sent the one who was like, yeah, come on, let's kick, let's kick some tail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Ray Romano dinosaur. Um, <laughs> I for, the Ray I, Romano dinosaur. I mean, my favorite part was whenever he got mad and yelled, Debra. <laughs> um, <Aww. laughs> uh I remember thinking like this is a weird mix between John Wayne and Ray Romano or something like that. Just yeah, two things that shouldn't be uh, go hand in hand. But yeah, I liked that dinosaur. He was he was my he was the part I laughed out loud at the most, and it wasn't it wasn't intentional. I guarantee it. <laughs> but yeah, Dino City for the Super Nintendo. Find on <laughs> emulators everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Because Lord knows they didn't include it in the SNES Classic. But wouldn't that be great if that was one of the preloaded games? <laughs> or if that was like the selling point of it, where it's like every <laughs> ad, they're like, and we brought back Dino City! <laughs> <laughs> and the, the only other observation that I have, and I will say stray to the fullest extent of the word, because as soon as this movie ended, I, w I was watching it on YouTube, because that's the only place I could find a copy of it. Sure. And the movie that immediately started playing after this one was called Tammy the T-Rex. Are you what? familiar with Are you familiar with Tammy the T-Rex? No, lay it on me. All right, so it's from 1994. Perfect. Uh, year of the year of the Flintstones. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Not set in times of a modern stone age family. This one is set in I don't know, some city. I didn't finish watching it because I couldn't take it, but <laughs> The, 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 the plot description for this is an evil scientist implants the brain of Michael, a murdered high school student, into a Tyrannosaurus. He escapes, wreaks vengeance on high school tormentors, and is reunited with his sweetheart, Tammy. It's so, called Tammy and the T-Rex? Exactly. Yeah. Tammy is played by Denise Richards. Shut up. And uh, yeah, uh, legendary Bond girl, Denise Richards. Christmas Jones. And, <laughs> and the part where my mouth just sort of fell right the hell open was that... The T-Rex is played by Paul Walker in his <laughs> very first film role. <laughs> Rest in peace. R.I.P. Paul Walker. Uh, but I was just sitting there like the cast list was going through and I was like, Denise Richards, Paul Walker, Tammy and the T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, it was. How it is was... this not being talked about all the time? <laughs> exactly. It's a little piece it's a little piece of history that no one remembers, and that's probably rightfully so. 
Uh, that's like, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, isn't it Jessica Biel is in uh, Alex Mack? Is she? I think so, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Seems uh, like something Jessica Biel would do. In 1994. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's amazing, like, just watching old TV shows and stuff. There was this terrible show uh, from the 90s called Second Noah. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically this husband and wife, uh, they have to basically inherit Build a farm. an ark. No, <laughs> there's there's no ark in this one, but there's what? just like, they, they live on this farm and they have to have all these animals or they're like a preservation to make sure that the animals, I don't know. I don't remember the plot details, but <laughs> I was watching the opening credits for it because that's all that's available on the internet. A young James Marsden is in that. Perfect. Before he was Cyclops, before he yelled Gene a lot, he was in Second Noah. So before he was uh, Prince Charming in Ella, Enchan- no, Enchanted, no, El- no Ella, just Enchanted, Enchanted minus the Ella this Sundays. <laughs> Saw that for the first time two weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Oh, huh. did not right. did not hate it. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't say I loved it either, but it was something. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> it is a movie. Uh, yeah, people put time into that. <laughs> that's the biggest compliment I have. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I liked it pretty good. So anyways, I guess that's Adventures in Dinosaur City. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people come, a lot of Enchanted fans coming at you. <laughs> I know. But uh, anyways, we're not here to talk about Enchanted. We're here to talk about Adventures in Dinosaur City. And yeah, we're not I, here. We're not here. But you know, if you come at us, we'll take a chunk out of anybody who skanks you. <laughs> this is true. Me and my sore friend Nick here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all of us are from New York for some odd reason. <laughs> Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, Adventures in Dinosaur City. Take that. <laughs> That's right. That was that was fun. So, uh, Popso. Oh, hey guys, what's happening? Hey man, uh, we're ready to move on to our music pick of the day. All righty then. Well, it comes to us from Allie Simpson from Brando Concertoville, and she has picked 1997's Hanson's Middle of Nowhere. Oh boy, this let's is... get prepubescent. <laughs> okay, let's just do this. Uh. <laughs> Hi, Nick. <laughs> I'm trying to recapture Gary in 1997. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't know if I ever want to talk to myself in 1997. <laughs> I feel like he, yeah. I feel like uh, Nick at that point was definitely a spaz, right? Right. Probably um, I, listening to a lot of Weird Al, which I still do. Right. Right. I don't. I don't know that 1997 Gary has changed that much, except that I'm more open minded now. Um, Great. And, uh, <laughs> my voice is perhaps a bit deeper. It'd be weird if it gotten higher. <laughs> oh, I think so. Yeah, it would be. It would be strange. You talked to 1997 Gary. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> uh, no, I think my voice is changing. Hi. <laughs> I have uh, Benjamin Button's uh, reverse vocal on. disease. Vo- <laughs> and that's what that's we're here to talk about. Benjamin exactly. Button reverse vocals disease. You can donate now. <laughs> Please do. Uh, it is uh, just go to um, Benjamin Button reverse vocals disease dot org backslash donate. We're going to use all the money that they've made off of being voiceover talents at five years old. <laughs> exactly. Most people don't realize this, but Don LaFontaine was only six. <laughs> In a world. <laughs> Can I watch cartoons now? <laughs> By the time he passed, he actually sounded like this. In a world. <laughs> Much like any other. <laughs> Oh, Don, R.I.P. Somehow um, this conversation is so much more interesting than Hanson's Middle of Nowhere. <laughs> so you didn't dig it. Okay, well, I'm not going to say that this album isn't enjoyable to listen to, but I think anybody listening to it can objectively say that overall this is a bad album. <laughs> I'm not taking away any joy that myself or anyone else can get from it, but I'm going to say 
I can come down and say like, yeah, it's not that good. Yeah, so Hanson's Middle of Nowhere, I, I did listen to this. I, I did have the cassette tape for it. And uh, strangely, the cassette tape is missing The Man from Milwaukee, which always bothered me because my uh, stepbrother did have the CD for this. So he had that song and I was like, oh, why can't I have that song? Um, wow, that must have been a length issue, right? I guess so. Uh, it was a hidden track, so I don't know if they just didn't catch it in the transfer or uh, what. <laughs> I, I doubt that's the case. The tech like was like, great, call it quits, print it. And everybody's like, did you remember to put the hidden track on it? What? Too late. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I So like, I, I'm impressed by their musicianship being being kids. I mean, I know that there's a lot of superfluous backup musicians on this record so i don't know who played what on what song but you know if if it was predominantly the three kids playing these songs i mean they did pretty good for themselves at that age especially the drummer because there's some drum fills and stuff that are pretty tricky for like an eight-year-old i would yeah i mean i think that the uh okay looking it up right now uh yeah zachary hansen plays drums Mm -hmm. taylor hansen plays keyboards Yep. Uh, and Isaac Hansen plays guitar. So mm-hmm. whoever uh, that uh, Jamiroquai-style bassist on <laughs> Look At You is, uh, that would be either, okay, Abraham Liboriel mm. or Neil Steubenhaus. Ooh, those are both great names. Yeah, I, I think overall this album is at fault for a lot of things that happened in the 90s, which is it borrows from 37 different genres and doesn't really figure out what it wants to do. Right, right. Yeah, I think where they get it right, it's pretty good. And where they don't, it's pretty bad. But, you know, I think that there's lasting value to a few of the songs. I'm a particularly big fan of uh, Lucy. And, oh, interesting. And uh, Yearbook. I liked both of those songs a lot. And they've they've kind of stuck with me all these years. I don't know if anything really jumped out at you as just like, oh, this is a pretty good song if it wasn't sung by, you know, like a, a 12-year-old boy. Or well, didn't it lines. also sound like it was a 12-year-old singing with a, like, 25-year-old? That that was that's the age difference between the youngest and the oldest. Is it really? Because it's I'm sa- pretty sure. It, yeah, it comes across. Yeah. <laughs> I got a bender. Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. So that's the oldest who doesn't sing much on this record. I don't think it's mostly middle brother who does most of the vocals. I believe. And then who I the- wish had taken like one more singing lesson because you can tell <laughs> that like he's got the chops to do it, but mm-hmm. it just like pushes a little too hard. And mm-hmm. it comes a little bit too much through his nose. So they end up with like something like that, you know? And it's <laughs> right. just kind of like, I this could be a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, they're still a band. They're still putting out records. And, yeah. And, and beer now. <laughs> yeah, M-Hops. <laughs> Which is just the, the greatest beer title. The thing is, they've grown into their sound, I think. They're still kind of off the wall with... um what they do like it's never a consistent sound from from song to song mm. but you know what they've grown into their voices obviously and they're you know they're better musicians than they've ever been there's this great video that i found one time of isaac talking about supporting independent music guys one more thing there's probably a bunch of you guys thinking why the hell is Hanson sitting here telling me about independent music it's not about Hanson fuck Hanson I mean that would be awkward but you know you guys can like I said check out a flyer whatever get into Hanson but it's not about us it's about music is not is going down people aren't going to concerts like they used to you guys aren't buying records like you used to why because it sucks yeah okay so you need to call your radio station call on TV and say this is what matters right now I'm not going to be defined by bullshit I'm going to be defined by stuff that gets me going yeah so i mean i just always appreciated that they were willing to go so far as just say don't worry about listening to hansen just find something you like and and support that because music is music and we need it man well yeah and i I think i think that you can tell that they they're committed right you know in in the sense that like they're really good at what they do Mm -hmm. and I think I think when the album shines best is when it's doing that like '90s, uh, '60s revivalist sort of faux psychedelic thing of mm-hmm. like 
you know, blues traveler or uh, any of those kinds of bands. And I think that it really gets hurt from production qualities that are like, you know, the the Sugar Ray style record scratching. And I think that things like your book, where it sort of goes from that 60s revivalist uh, uh, organic to like a straight up like not necessarily electro pop, but like yeah. ballady, almost like a Celine Dion song, you know? <laughs> right, right. I, I think that that sort of uh, whiplash and that sort of lack of focus is what really hurts them. And I think that that happens to a certain extent on the small level in the songs as well. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's, the fact that's... that your third track on your album, which is fundamentally an upbeat pop album, is like straight up a Savage Garden ballad, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's 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 certainly good and bad to it, and I've I've never really stepped back and just listened to it objectively until now. Mm. It's been it's been like a guilty conscience, or I'm sorry, Eminem. It's been like a uh. it's been like a guilty pleasure for me throughout the years. Every once in a while, I'll just put it in because it's like something I listened to as a kid, and I I thought it was good at the time before I had a lot of discretion. Yeah, that um, happens to me all the time. Yeah, and you know, I think where it holds up, it does, and exactly like you said, it's it's a confused record. But all in all, I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It's it's somewhere middle of the road, and for like a first record of three teenage and younger boys, I think they do pretty well for it. Yeah, I agree entirely. And you know what? I think uh, I think the fact that they commit one hundred percent and they seem to have talent. If they had given it three or four years mm-hmm. and had just like done like you know gigged the hell out of themselves right i think it could have been a different story i think so you you know one thing that i'll say and this is just because i'm eternally irritated with this song if umbop hadn't have happened yeah we would have never known about them but they would have been one of those quiet underground bands that that you know would have Possibly made it, possibly not, but they would have had integrity, and they could um, have had a chance to, because uh, they could have had the the more weaker songs on the record, mm-hmm. but they would have had a chance to let the good ones shine more, and then have a chance yeah. for a sophomore effort. That would and be I, I, more. I th- yeah, I think even the weaker songs would have been more authentic too. Mm. You know, like once the studio comes in, because you know this is largely a. Uh, uh, destroyed by the studio i think it's made and destroyed at the same time uh you know it's like if it weren't for the like you say the record scratching the high production quality or whatever of this i I think it'd be a different record um yeah i don't know i think it'd be more akin to what they're doing now because they're very obviously interested in a lot of different styles and i'm guessing their parents just raised them that way which is awesome because that's kind of how my parents raised me i don't know I respect what they do, but yeah, this album is, uh, it's not middle of nowhere. It's middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, I think overall fun. Also just ran into this name, drums and percussion done by Ged Lynch. Ooh. G-E-D Lynch. Wow. Oh, I also have a note here that says, uh, given a different course, they could have been polyphonic spree before polyphonic spree. <laughs> So they could have been tripping Daisy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, fundamentally, like, because I feel like all the sort of 90s, 60s revivalist stuff on here is where they really seem to get into it. And yeah, if they had had the effort to explore that more, they could have been one of those bands. I, I think I remember, like, a weird digression, but I think I remember reading in, like, Tiger Beat or something uh, that they were very much influenced by the 60s because that's what their parents made them listen to. Mm. And then, and then the studio probably said, "Well, let's make it more '90s. Let's do what what the, what the Sugar Ray is doing, you know." And that's where it gets mixed up. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna remember which one it was, but there was like a straight up Motown track in here with like the horns and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And I love the um the Lucy song, the ballad song, like I mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, I mean, it is sung by the youngest one, so it sounds like a little girl singing about a girl named Lucy, but uh. You know, it's 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 like I was I think I was talking to you about at one point recently, like the chipmunks. It's a novelty act, right? Yeah. But if you if you take away the novelty side of it and you just listen to the songs like if you were to substitute those with regular singers, mm. not sped up, 
And in the case of this, if you were to substitute it with a matured voice person instead of a, you know, eight to 12 year old kid, is it still a good song and how does it hold up? And, and, you know, in my opinion, it really does. Yeah. 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 Anyways, that's Hanson's middle of nowhere. Great. All (laughs) right. So you want to call in Popso for one last trip? Yeah, sure, I can do that. Uh, hey, uh... Hey, guys, what's happening? Hey, uh, so we've we finished up with Hanson's Middle of Nowhere. How'd you like it? Well, I think you should probably listen back to the episode and get all of our opinions on it. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So, uh, what are we, what are we wrapping up this episode with, Popso? We're gonna send you back to 1993 to go check out some Mighty Morphin Power Ranger toys on behalf of Bradley Griffin from Griffinsville, Indiana. Great. Perfect. Let's check them out. Evil space aliens have become a real safety hazard. Alright, so Power Rangers toys. I have quite a few memories of these things. I mean, I was I was pretty into it. Yeah, I I would have been the perfect age. Cause this when this show when I was watching this show, I mean, I was the age of like wanting to do everything on the playground and, you know, uh uh reenact I never like reenact scenes from the show, but like make up my own stories from the show. And the, yeah. the I think the toys were the perfect thing to do it. I, uh, yeah, I agree completely. I was I was very much into that, and they they produced a lot. I was actually sitting this morning looking at just pictures of all the toys that were produced, and and from ninety three to ninety six, I believe it was the Mighty Morphin line, mm. and man, they did a lot of stuff from doll sized figures to actual dolls to micro machine style toys. You know, like there was a lot of merchandise. All well, and the uh, the props from the show, and you know the thirty different versions of the different toys that you could have of the characters' yeah. toys that you could have. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was never ending. No, I mean this this was a series that was made to sell toys, and you know they did they did just that with it. <laughs> yeah, much like Transformers or GI Joe or any of that, any of the eighties sure. stuff. Sure, absolutely. Mm. I did uh, the. Did you have a favorite ranger? Uh, it's cliche to say, but uh, definitely Tommy. Yeah. When he was the green ranger, when he became the white ranger, I said, that's enough white privilege. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I just, I didn't really care that much about the show once he became the white ranger. That was sort of towards the tail end of my investment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I felt very similar. Did you have any of the toys? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I had way too many. Did you watch the show and collect the toys? Yeah, totally. I still remember the first time I saw the show. I think it was the episode with iGuy, maybe, as the villain. Much like you, I was just the right age for it. I, I remember catching my first episode and just being hooked. Mm. And uh, we would... we would Because it came on, like, the way that my schedule was, I wasn't home whenever it played, so we would tape every episode. Um, oh, nice. And then, and then I'd watch it whenever I got home. That and Batman the Animated Series, because I think they came on back-to-back. I've still got a bunch of those tapes laying around somewhere. Did you do both the figures and the prop toys, or did you lean more towards one? I mean, did like, let's start with the big one. Did you have a Megazord? I did, uh, but I had the second Megazord, not the, not the original. Oh, uh, okay. Did it, but it came apart into the various dinosaurs, or yep. was... Okay. Because there were also the ones that wouldn't, but it did, like, you know, at least roll on its feet or something like that. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I remember what you're talking about. I always wanted the first Megazord, but it just, I, I, I don't know. I guess by the time Christmas came around, it wasn't available anymore, and they had already moved on to the, I guess, I forget what it was, like the third season, whenever they changed the Megazord into that more sleek design. And uh, Tommy was the White Ranger at that point, I believe. And I, I think I had the Tiger Zord, too, from the White Ranger. Uh, the... Spoil- spoilers, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> if... Yeah, we really need a big spoiler alert for uh, <laughs> plot points of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I mean, if you're just now, if, if Tommy is still green with evil, hold huh. on. It, it gets better. I thought it was always interesting. I, I really, I never had any of the toys. Really? But all of my friends did. Oh, wait, that's not true. I had a 
Morpher, I believe. Ah, okay. I had a Power Morpher, which of course came with all the coins, so that right. you could you could go through uh, each. You could be whichever ranger you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a lot of friends who had the toys, and mostly the figures. There weren't a lot of people who had like the um, the the weapons that made the giant gun. Or yeah. uh, the uh, knife, or the dagger, which became uh, Subba Sword when he became the White Ranger. Right, right. The talking sword. <laughs> the talking. violent, yeah, the violent version of Mary Poppins' umbrella. That is that is a weirdly accurate statement. Yeah, I know. I know when Bradley wrote in with his suggestion, he actually mentioned the automorphin ones. Do you remember the automorphin figures where you could press their? Uh, you could like flip them around to where they had the human head, and then you could f- press their belt, and their head would flip around to the ranger mask. That was an era of toys where they were just grasping at straws to make anything, any variation upon. Because I feel like uh, didn't Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had a very similar thing? They Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles went full Transformers on us, like. Raph would turn into a fire truck or Leo or somebody would turn into a fire truck and it was it was weird but I feel like also they had one where the heads flipped for some odd reason and they didn't wear a mask which was like not a plot point of the show and had no point yeah you're right I remember with those they did a bebop and rock steady which made more sense because it was the human version of them and then their head would flip around and it was the mutant version of them Mm. but but yeah that didn't really work for the turtles so well the other thing is that to make that head chest cavity work, they had to be like what would be if they were actual people, a four foot wide torso. <laughs> <laughs> like they have these tiny heads on top. I mean, they 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 look like uh uh the bad guy from the Super Mario Brothers movie. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Good old Dennis Hopper. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> um. I actually came across a Dennis Hopper action figure from Super Mario Brothers the movie recently. Ooh. Did I didn't buy it. Buy it. No, 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 no. I don't I don't want to support that movie. Um <laughs> if I came across a Deacon from Waterworld, I'd consider it. <laughs> Representing oh. your cousin, the Deacon of the Deeds. Now cousins, <laughs> cousins, calm down. <laughs> I do come across Waterworld toys every often, but every so often, but it's usually Kevin Costner. Uh, if anybody hasn't revisited that stunt show on YouTube, which I think <laughs> is still at Universal uh, Hollywood, they still have huh. the the Waterworld stunt show. That one is so good. That's astounding for a movie that almost killed half the people who worked on it. And <laughs> seems uh, insulting. Is that, is that what you're saying? Seems insulting. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm just surprised that <laughs> we can do it better and three times a day. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like the studio would want that movie forgotten about because I don't know if you've ever read the history behind it, but it's pretty crazy. But uh, Random you know, quiz. If... Do you remember the song to uh, summon the Dragon Zord? <laughs> I just wanted to see if you'd be able to do that. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I was I was really into I was really into Tommy. Um <laughs> just I don't know, such I always thought he was kind of the coolest Power Ranger and green was my favorite color, so it worked out. Green um, is my favorite color. <laughs> I want a dragon zord your brother. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate. Um <laughs> But yeah, I I was pretty big into these. I remember particularly the one that Bradley mentioned, the green Automorphin Ranger, uh, which came out in 94, I believe. I had gone to summer camp that year, and it was a particularly horrible experience for me because I was the youngest kid there, and a lot of kids picked on me and bullied me for a week straight. And, uh, you know, like I remember just calling my mom, like begging to come home multiple times throughout the week. Uh so she knew how tormented I was and we'd been trying to find the green ranger for a while. So she actually found it for me while I was at camp. And and when my dad picked picked me up after that week, uh, he gave it to me and it was just such a sweet and highlighted memory in the old brain. That's a great end to that story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a very, I tell you those kids at the summer camp needed to watch more PSAs at the end of power Rangers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna fight you 
Hey, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm here. <laughs> Tommy? Yeah, it's me. And I'm here to tell you that violence isn't the answer. <laughs> you know, you actually do a reasonably good uh, Jason David Frank. <laughs> I like dudes, I, I like all of them when they have the suits on. <laughs> There's nothing more fun than like watching because somehow they had to make the dialogue work with the hand motions that were happening in Super Sentai, right? Uh huh. Because right. like because they don't have mouths, they have they had to gesture when they were talking. <laughs> so like whenever they say over there, they point over there. Whenever yeah. they say he's above us, they have to point over themselves. <laughs> right? And it's just the greatest thing ever to watch because you know it's like. Yeah, I'm going to go this way, and this way is punctuated by a giant motion that way. And they had to make that that overdubbing work for the English, uh, for the American version, which I love. I think there was a lot of work put into that show. Um, for for a show, like, with a bunch of kids who didn't know how to act prior to really mm. getting that gig, you know, it's... they. I think they learned pretty quickly based on having to dub for the Super Sentai series. Um also, love how the girls didn't have boobs. Just throwing once they morphed. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were probably dudes. Uh, <laughs> yep, they were. They were in the, in the suits. <laughs> but as a kid, that didn't. I didn't catch that. Oh yeah, the skirt thing was always one of the ones where like everybody I knew was like, "Why do they have to have skirts?" <laughs> but yeah, I have I have fond memories. Even though I didn't have any of the toys, I wanted every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. I I had a. Uh, an unreasonable amount of them and and like i say they did them in all different sizes like i even had the 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 doll for the pink ranger which was quite you know it was almost a barbie doll that looked like amy joe johnson um and you could really? change her from With her street clothes to uh yeah it was like street clothes and then you could put the the suit on her as well oh that's cool um, but yeah they had the they had the dolls and they had collectible figures which were just like two inch tall little figurines that you could collect a whole slew of them they had them in human form morphed form and then they had the monsters that go along with it i had the command center play set oh that wow came with, that came with the alpha 5 robot ay 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 yeah uh a young richard steven orvich uh mm. and he's, he still sounds the same way to go on the middle name yeah <laughs> real heavy pull there <laughs> that's what he went by on the show for some reason <laughs> Uh, I met I met him at a, re- a convention recently. I was just kind of watching him cause as he does, you know, sign the autographs. As he is writing things out, he's speaking in the character that he's doing. So whether it's uh, Norval or Daggett, whichever one he was from Angry Beavers, or whether it's Invader Zim or Alpha Zim. Five, <laughs> whatever, you know, like he's he's doing it as he's writing it out, and it's it's really fun just seeing him interact with people. I uh, I saw the. Uh... I saw that guy who plays Gurr, because Gurr is pitch, <laughs> pitch corrected, uh-huh. not corrected, but pitched up. Uh, so when he actually does the voice, it's really funny to watch, because it sounds like Gurr, but lower, and he just like totally whacks himself out. I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, but I mean, like Richard Horvitz's voice is pretty much, uh, it's more like Invader Zim than anything else. Like, it's not quite Alpha 5. That was pitched a little bit, too. Mm. But yeah, it was just funny as he was like signing one person's thing as like, I, 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 such and such, you know, like as he was writing it out, Has it was to pretty do fun everything. to watch. Oh, that's yeah. great. Also, yeah. this just popped into my head. I had a Goosebumps on cassette tape that oh. was narrated by Richard Horvitz. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. I don't think that's I have so it cool. anymore. That's a bummer. Yeah. And he also, uh, he does a, he has a live action performance in summer school from the 80s. Huh. Uh, which is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's actually a decent movie, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, when we get to 80s pop culture dra- grab bag, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Sounds good. Ten years from now. <laughs> Once we've literally gotten the entire decade of the 90s. <laughs> it's going to take a lot longer than ten years, buddy. <laughs> Our children's children will be going on about the 90s. <laughs> The, our theoretical children's children. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on uh, the AI for that right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I I was I was a big fan. Um, I my favorite thing that they did was they did a Mighty Max style series where it was like the morphers, but you could open it up and it was a playset inside, and then you had miniature versions of the figures as well. That's um, cool. 
Yeah, so th- those were my favorite. There were no shortages of people wondering how they could reinterpret other toy ideas into their toy. Not at all. No. No. And unless you own the basically the rights for that style of toy, which I don't think many people went into that. I don't even know if they could. You know, it was pretty much all up for grabs. Yeah. Like how much I'm I'm certain that, you know, to try and patent that it's such a vague concept like the mighty max concept oh there's a toy inside of a toy like you Mm -hmm. know how specific can you get and still hold on to the idea and how vague are you allowed to be without being like well you're just copywriting the idea of toy now that's that's impossible you can't do that you can't be a monopoly i mean if you want to get weirdly technical it's just like i do it's just like Russian dolls, you know? It's a toy within yeah. a toy within a toy. And um it's inception of toys. <laughs> it sure is, just without all the heavy handedness. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't like Power Rangers very much now. Uh I will I will say that Yeah. Power Rangers. I you know, I've tried to go back a couple times and I gotta say like it's interesting because you do kind of get the monster movie element to it. And it's like, if it was just that, yeah, I could watch this. But there's something heavy-handed and so of its time about the the uh, teen element of it that yeah. makes it sort of uh, atavistic. Now, I mean, it feels dated. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and you can see the bad acting and you can hear the bad music and you can, you know, it's it's just... It's a little, and it gets very repetitive. Um, I, I'm sorry. Know. I think you mean amazing music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Just uh, that's shredding the, guitar. <laughs> right, right. Well, I was thinking like the the super campy Balkan skull music that. It is really bad. I cherish it in my memory, but that's where I'm going to leave it, I think. Yeah, why not? So Remember uh, the good times. Yeah, hopefully we won't have to uh, revisit Power Rangers again anytime soon. Yeah, well, let's see. Here's hoping. So I guess that's it, huh? Yeah, I guess uh-huh. uh, that wraps it up for this episode. Yeah, I guess uh, let's hop on back to 2018. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, that about wraps it up. Uh, have we learned anything this episode? Um, well, we learned that uh, sometimes having a label isn't the best thing for a band. Um, <laughs> we learned uh, that you should not skank your sore friends. Um, I don't know. Uh, we learned that uh, people who transfer cassette to CD sometimes forget hidden tracks. Uh, very important lesson <laughs> anything i'm missing here uh and that if if someone else came up with a toy idea and you can ham fist it into your your property do That's it right. <laughs> absolutely absolutely also in the 80s and 90s whenever there were all these you know ninja turtles knockoffs how was there never a series called ham fist about oh. a, crime, a crime fighting pig yeah that that would be Although I feel like Hamfist could have worked its way into Earthworm Jim very organically. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there wasn't a pig character in that. That could have worked. Really? That seems shocking. <laughs> well, we just rewrote history. Thank God we don't own a time machine where that could become problematic for uh, our current time. <laughs> Oops. Exactly. Well, at least we're in 2018 when we're coming up with these brilliant ideas. Oh, thank God we're not in a coffee shop sitting next to uh, Doug Tenable. Yeah. <laughs> we could have we could have ruined generations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure we will someday. Uh, all right. So, uh, Popso, what are we going to be covering next episode? guys well next episode we're going to be covering feeling strangely fine by semi-sonic spirographs from the 90s and turbo a power rangers movie damn it gary why did you why did you curse us like that <laughs> i jinxed us oh <laughs> well I, I guess we're coming back guys yep uh we will uh i guess it's it's morphin' time all right well uh join us next time on the 90s pop culture grab bag it's it's one that 
is kind of nostalgic to me. I don't mean to go on like another Spice Girls spice rant, but you know, like I, I did. You I and did your brother listen. were trading the tapes <laughs> in the bunk beds. <laughs> the the only tape we we we, we had the same uh, middle of nowhere cassette. We just passed it back and forth. <laughs> you actually recorded over it and made notes <laughs> with yourself. My favorite part about I will run to you is whenever they. Uh, no, I, I'm pretty sure. Like if we talk to 1997 Gary, there's much more of a Southern accent going on. I've been I've been down here in the South since I was born five <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I was I was not born in 1992. I sounded like Pat, Pat Buttram as a child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was not born to listen to Hanson's Middle of Nowhere. <laughs> what a, what a guy! Oh, no one like him. No, <laughs> you know it was almost a Barbie doll that looked like Amy Jo Johnson. Um, and you could really? change her from Without her street clothes to, uh, yeah, it was like street clothes and then you could put the, the suit on her as well. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I spent a lot of time undressing Amy Jo Johnson as a child. No, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> please cut that out. We want her to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say mentally. It was, it was innocent. It was a doll. Uh, <laughs> nothing weird ever happens with dolls. Uh,